If you're someone who has a passion for cut flowers, our environment, and wants to make the world more beautiful, you're in the right place. Whether you're growing flowers for pleasure or profit, I'm on a mission to empower flower enthusiasts and professionals to help change the world around them. Whether you're just starting out and need a helping hand, or are looking to scale a substantial flower business, I'm your cut flower woman. Welcome to the Cut Flower Podcast. So today I'd like to welcome Helen Rogers. I'd love to introduce Helen to you of Highgate Honey. And I came across this lovely company online on Instagram, on the wonderful Instagram, and was fascinated that you could have bees on the top of a house in North London. That got me thinking. So Helen, do introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to have bees on the top of a house. Well, it's been quite a ride, I have to say. And I just say that Instagram is fantastic for making new friends, isn't it? I've I've made loads and it's it's so good for that sort of thing. And um, anyway, so my story begins I grew up in rural Oxfordshire I mean it was really rural a tiny tiny little village in the middle of nowhere and um, I guess it's one of those childhoods that people imagine that their children should have you know we were very free um, we cycled everywhere we walked everywhere we climbed trees we lay in hay fields and jumped off straw bales and made tree houses and all of that sort of thing which is so it's very in touch with nature and um really in tune with the nat- in in tune with the seasons as well which was fantastic so we were outside a lot my mother is a horticulturalist um and so she was all about growing her whole world is about growing things so we had this wonderful garden and she planted an orchard and vegetable gardens and beautiful herbaceous borders um and you know we were all enlisted to help with this <laughs> operation um i i had three brothers so you know there, there was quite a lot of mouths to feed and my father would be busy working and he'd come home and do the lawns and things like that. But uh, yeah, we'd, we'd get enlisted to apple pick and fruit pick. Oh, my goodness. The hours I spent sitting and picking red currants, and white currants and strawberries and raspberries. And, oh, but it was great, you know, and you can't beat that kind of hands on um, experience. So in a way all of that is part of who I am Um, and you know I went through school and I was definitely on the sciences side of things so I ended up studying engineering at university and uh, my father's an engineer so that's in the blood too you can't escape it (laughs) Um, so I ended up after I graduated coming to London because I studied as a structural engineer And I wanted to work with the most exciting architects and all the exciting things were happening in London. Um, And it was the late 1990s. And there were lots of, you know, big projects running up towards the millennium. And uh, yeah, London was the place to be. So I moved to London and had this great career as a structural engineer for many years. And I'm still doing a bit of engineering these days. 
Um, and I was all over London visiting various building sites. I particularly enjoyed working on old buildings, um, you know, rediscovering their history and all of that sort of thing. But while I was traveling around, I noticed that here, there and everywhere, there were beehives tucked into corners of parks and on the tops of roofs and all sorts of things like that. And it just blew my mind because coming from the countryside, you know, people had bees there and it seemed like a very rural, natural thing to do in the countryside. But I could not wrap my head around having bees in the city because it just seemed bonkers. Um, and then I started sort of putting my ear to the ground and I found out that there were actually loads of beekeepers in London and London honey was just fantastic because of the variety of flowers that are available in the city, which aren't really available in the countryside. So I got more and more interested um, while all this was going on, my career was developing. I'd met my husband. We got married. We bought a little house in Camden, which was tiny. Um, and then we had children and we ended up moving to Highgate. Um, and we had a bigger house with a garden, which was very exciting for the first time. I had my own proper garden and my husband surprised me by buying me a beehive for my birthday because <laughs> he knew I was interested in the bees. And um, he said, come on, you know, we've got the space now. Our children were tiny, so I was at home a lot. Why don't you go for it, get, get some bees, learn anything, everything about it, and, and off we went. So he gave me this hive and we'd sort of, I did loads of research. I'm one of these people, if I want to know about something, I'll dive really deep into the whole subject. And so I deep dove into bees uh, and I had very limited time because he'd given me the hive, but I didn't have the bees yet. And he said, oh, by the way, the bees are arriving in about six weeks time. So, oh, so suddenly I had to really gain a lot of knowledge very, very quickly. Um, and I decided that the best place to have the hives would be on the roof of our house because then they fly high over people's heads so they're not um, coming in low over many gardens and bothering people. So the hive was put up on our roof. We've got a flat roof just out the window here and I can see the bees flying. And um, yeah, Six weeks later, there was a knock at the door and a delivery man holding this box full of bees. And he just said, here are your bees. And he ran off. <laughs> he was obviously terrified. <laughs> Poor man. So um, I'd got a bee suit and installed the bees into the hive. And that was the beginning of our journey with bees. Um, so now um, I run about between 30 and 40 hives all around North London. Um, and I keep them in very small groups of five or six maximum hives. Um, some of them are my bees and they're on sort of in parkland or on um, nature reserves and things like that. And some of the bees are owned by other people. So I manage the colonies for them. 
So for example, there's some on the golf course, there's some on the rooftop of an office building, but uh, we're not in central, central London where the forage is quite difficult. We're further out. So there, there is, they seem to thrive. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's where we are now. <laughs> I've always had this dream of having bees. Um, and we have the land to have bees, so that's not the problem. But it's, like you say, getting someone to manage the colony and it's a job and it's kind of like there's work to be done. And so I've always fancied it but never taken that next step. So if there's anyone in Milton Keynes who wants to have bees and wants a colony, that's absolutely fine. Um, so you've talked about why bees, but why are some flowers, I've read that some flowers are better for bees than others? Yes, that's absolutely right. So one of my big things is to try and encourage people to plant for bees and not just honeybees, because you've got to remember that in the UK, we've got about 270 different types of bee and they're all really important. And actually, this whole kind of save the bees campaign is a bit ridiculous when it's pushed at honeybees because honeybees are very well looked after by beekeepers um, and you know maintained in healthy colonies as long as the beekeeper knows what they're doing um, but there's a lot of other bees which are struggling and the reason that they're struggling is that they don't have enough forage and they don't have the environment to benefit them so I spend a lot of time persuading people not to have bees so I have a lot of companies approach me and say oh we'd love to have bees on the roof of our building or whatever and so I instead of saying yeah yeah I'll come and dump some hives on your roof and I'll charge you thousands of pounds every year to look after them instead I talk to them about creating a garden on their roof instead that will benefit all different types of bees and this has been really successful um, and in some cases, you know, they've created outdoor meeting rooms as well. And they've made sort of sand banks so that some of the solitary bees can burrow in there and lay their eggs and all these different things. We've provided water sources and I'll help them choose appropriate um, plants as well. So, yeah, that's been really fun. So I've kind of done myself out of work I suppose by looking after bees but for me it's more important that we have this holistic view of bees and not just honeybees so going back to your question about why different plants are suitable for bees and why some aren't well you have to remember that different types of bee have preferences about which types of plants they like so bumblebees for example have relatively long tongues for bees so they're able to forage on different types of flowers than, say, honeybees, which have got shorter tongues. So you'll see honeybee, uh, bumblebees foraging on things like lavender, um, foxgloves, stuff like that. You know, flowers with longer, um, longer flowers. <laughs> um, and honeybees can't access those flowers. I mean, there's very specialist bees as well. So there's one bee called the ivy bee, which more or less only feeds on ivy flowers. So they emerge from the ground where the eggs were laid the previous year in late September time when the ivy's just coming into flower. They come out, they feed on the ivy, 
um, they mate, they lay their eggs in the ground, and that's their complete life cycle for the year. Um, so it's really important that we consider all of these bees um, and try and produce a kind of buffet of forage for them. Um, and I mean, there's lots of debate about the best type of flowers and really it's not worth getting too hung up about these things as long as you're doing something. Um, my mum and I wrote a book together over lockdown because, you know, she was desperate to talk plants to somebody and I was desperate to talk bees. So we had a, a call every week where we would kind of discuss what was happening in our gardens and we decided to write this little book um, called, it's called 80 Flowers for Bees. So I have to remember what the title is, 80 Flowers for Bees. And I illustrated it, but it, it's very basic. Um, here are 80 good plants that benefit bees. And she wrote notes on how to look after those plants, you know, what aspect they like, what type of soil they like, you know whether they're annuals or perennials or whatever and then I would monitor them and just see which bees were visiting these flowers so I'd write a bit about that um, so between us I mean there's plenty of books on the market about planting for bees but very few give the horticultural information as well um, which is annoying because I mean you can spend a lot of money on on plants which aren't suitable for your location and it's it's disappointing so i'm all about you know get, getting people to have good results from planting things and being able to attract the right sort of bees wow so, where yeah. do you get that so, from helen where can we get that book oh um it's on my website highgatehoney.com so we we published it ourselves um and yeah so you can order it from there wow Okay. Yeah. So I mean, the, the other, there's lots of things to say about this, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, with bees, you've got to remember that their eyesight is very different from ours as well. So their whole spectrum is shifted towards the ultraviolet end of things. So they'll always be attracted to blues and violets over, you know, yellows and reds and oranges. So if given a choice, they'll always go for the blues and violets. So, you know, when you're selecting your plants, you can help the bees by, by thinking about that. Um, they'll always prefer trees. Trees are brilliant because they produce so many flowers on them in a relatively small footprint. Um, whereas, you know, annuals are great, they're beautiful and all of that, but um, they produce relatively few flowers. Yeah per plant if that makes sense yeah so yes i i recommend you know you've got to have long-term thinking and short-term thinking as well so you plant for the future put those trees in uh you'll have lovely foliage for your um yeah. flower arrangements but also you're helping the pollinators yeah 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 thinking about that now you think about things like viburnum that has sort of flowers all year round they love that viburnitinus they love part of the dahlias, but only the ones that are completely open. They don't want to That's right. an open dahlia. Um, so forget the pom-poms, go more sort of open. The yes, the single varieties. Single varieties. Yeah. Uh, lavender, absolutely. Budlia, yeah. All of the kind of 
Yeah, it's quite interesting. So as a flower farmer, of course, it's quite diverse. So you've got your foliage. So we've got a lot of bees. We actually did have an ivy bee too. When we took ivy down completely because it was holding the wall up and we needed to rebuild the wall, we didn't really think very much about ivy bees. And of course, then within 24 hours, the ivy bees had made another home somewhere completely different in my polytunnel, which is quite a way away from the ivy. So I walked in and thought, oh, what are these? Oh, better ring a bee person who duly arrived from Newport Pagnell in his bee suit and said, oh, these are ivy bees. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A small business. Do reels get you reeling? Is SEO just a three letters put together? Content planning something you know you should be doing, but just never get round to it. Do join our growth club online. What is it? It's a supportive community. It's all about growing your business. It provides trainings and guest speakers join us every month. Is it time to work on your business and not in it? The link for more information is in the show notes. It's funny, every single year I get a call from someone with a polytunnel. So I think they must really like the warmth when they lay their eggs in the autumn. It's it's interesting. Yeah, they go, go yeah, they're not silly. They're not silly, they go straight. <laughs> so different honey I know in different areas can taste differently. And my childhood name was Winnie the Pooh, actually. I'm I'm called Ros the Pooh, because he was one of my favourite characters. But I actually don't like honey, which is very odd. <gasps> What? <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm really going to try different honeys because I I've, I've been told that they're different depending on obviously the flowers they've actually had. So tell us a little bit about different honeys that are so different. Well, this is something that's really close to my heart. So when I first set up my first hive and then very quickly got another hive, I harvested the honey separately from each hive. I mean they were situated next to each other they're about a meter apart but the honey produced from each hive was completely different one was very light and floral and the other was very dark and almost medicinal you know really rich and slightly bitter taste and that again blew my mind because I knew that you can get honey from different locations tasting very different but my bees were obviously finding completely different sources of forage. And, uh, you know, they hadn't talked to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that blew my mind. So I started doing, you know, in my typical way, deep dive research. Um, and I realized that in Italy, they take honey extremely seriously. And um, you can actually train to become a honey sommelier in Italy so I decided to do this and so off I go to Italy and oh my goodness it was just the most amazing experience so now I am a honey sommelier and um, one of the things you have to learn to do is to recognize lots of uh, single origin honeys so for example lime tree sunflower dandelion um, so you need to be able to recognise them from the scent and also the flavour. And obviously they look very different as well. So, you know, dandelion honey looks like a dandelion. You know, it's like bright, bright yellow um, and it's got the most incredible flavour. So when you say to me, I don't like honey, yeah, yeah. 
I just say you just haven't tasted your honey yet. I need to We've find got... it then. What would you suggest starting with? Because obviously you well, can start with a honey from a shop, from a supermarket, and then they'll try a honey from a farm shop, maybe locally. Then yeah. it's what comes after that. So it's like, well, why don't I like it? And what could I try that I would like? I would really like, yeah. like it. Well, you'll have to come on one of my honey tasting <laughs> workshops. <laughs> well, you're not far from me, are you? So that's no. So I, I've have so far up till now done them over Zoom, um, but this year I'll be doing some in person over the winter months. Okay. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's a good way of trying lots of different ones very quickly. So usually I focus on using honeys from the UK. Um, because I don't think most people realise the range of honey that is available in this country. Um, so, you know, we've got very light honeys like borage, which is very clear and light, and it has a very light flavour as well, right through to honeydew, which is a very dark, mysterious honey, and it almost tastes like licorice, you know, it's that very interesting flavor and sometimes we even get a bit of chestnuts um the heather honeys are really interesting as well what's interesting to me is when i'm doing these honey tastings it's interesting which honey people prefer and it nearly always is honey that's from the area where they grew up oh so recently i was doing one and there was a lady there from yorkshire and they have a lot of heather honey in Yorkshire. And um, heather honey is quite an acquired taste. I love it, but a lot of people it's too much for. And, um, you know, everyone's going, ooh, ooh, I'm not sure about this. And she was like, now this is how I think honey should be. And it turns out, you know, that was the honey she was given as a child. And it has a very deep-seated memory for her. Um, so I find that really interesting. So yes, uh, I don't know where you were from originally, but maybe we can find. Oh, we're exciting! A new town, Hemel Hempstead, so North London, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, we're exciting. So, but it would be uh, so. It's a new town, but it would probably be interesting to see. Yeah, what it would be. I just remember having lots of roses in our garden as a child and very little else. So because it was a new town, they put all red yeah. around the front of everyone's houses. So it was quite yes. as a child. So I don't know, is the honest answer. Maybe it could be, no, we'll find out. This is, this is interesting. But, I mean, you can have a lot of fun with honey because you can do pairings with wine and cheese as well. So, you know, a very robust blue cheese can be really be accentuated in a way with quite a bitter honey. And they work really well together. So, yeah, you can have lots and lots of fun with that sort of thing. And, and, you know, we quite often do a cheese board with different types of honey for each type of cheese. Now you're talking. <laughs> you see, I knew there was a way in. <laughs> oh, really strong cheese. No problem with that. And, yeah, I love all the chutneys. I love everything else that goes, goes with it. Something must have happened in childhood to put me off. But I, so I, I think you you might enjoy the sweet chestnut and maybe even an arbutus honey, you know, the strawberry tree. Um, I think perhaps you might go for one of those. Right, <laughs> book me on a course and I'll be there. <laughs> so I know you're an avid reader as well. And that um, obviously you're deep, you know, you, 
people are either deep go deep into research don't they, when they come across a new subject and they research it i'm the actually complete opposite of that as a person i would tend to be the person who ordered the beehive and the bees they would arrive and then i think oh oh now what better get a book off um, amazon the dummy's guide to beekeeping because i don't know i better do that now oh gosh they're, they're already at the door oh never mind i'll work it out whereas you're obviously a deeper researcher and i i would love to be that which i'm kind of like oh we'll work out a way so an avid reader so you've obviously what do you what what if you went on a desert island or what would you take with you what free books would you take with you you know this is like killing me to choose three books i mean i have a quite an extensive um library of of books that i can't live without so just choosing three would be tricky tricky i'm actually reading a really interesting book at the moment called um, natural intelligence and it's looking at the world as a whole and it's talking about climate change and all of that and not being depressing about it they're talking about the different ecosystems that exist and how different sort of keystone animals affect their whole ecosystems and and how we need to kind of work to restore those things quite gently rather than let's invent this amazing carbon capture scheme with lots of engines and and uh you know mad inventions let's just make sure the whale population's really well looked after so the plankton can thrive so that the weeds in the sea grow and actually store loads and loads of carbon on the seabed you know things like that which i'm finding really fascinating so it would be quite nice to have that book with me on my desert island as i sort of laze around on the beach i think i quite like that idea there's a lovely novel about beekeeping. I mean, I'm, I've gone for bee-themed books here, I think. And it's called The Keeper of the Bees. And uh, it's set between the wars, First World War and the Second World War. And it's about a veteran who is very, very unwell. I, I can't remember what was wrong with him because it was some years that I read it. But I just remember it's about garden that the bees are kept in and it's quite a gentle book but it's it's him healing and growing this garden and the bees guiding him and so on and I think that would be a really nice book to revisit as well because I'm not really one for deserts uh, <laughs> <laughs> desert islands I think I'd have to start growing stuff immediately and uh, maybe I'd have to have a book to help me identify things that I could eat quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we'd be thrown into a whole different tropical environment and we wouldn't know what we could eat. We could probably fish, maybe, or but who would know? So we'd have to, yeah, we definitely would have to have an identification book. Otherwise, we might starve. So that Exactly, exactly. I think I need a how to grow lots of tropical fruits. I love you know fruit and stuff so I'd have my whole orchard set out quite quickly I think <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what's been your biggest mistake or learning along the way there's always learnings along the way aren't there oh yeah I mean it's quite funny because as a beekeeper there's a, a saying that if you ask three beekeepers the same question you'll get six different answers 
And that's how it is in the beekeeping world. So I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, nothing catastrophic, luckily. Um, but, you know, everything that I could have done wrong, pretty much I've done wrong. So I always say, because I, I give a lot of my time to um, our local beekeeping club, teaching uh, beginners and so on. And I always say to them, come and learn from me because I've made all these mistakes. Don't do this. Don't do that. Ask me how I know because I've done this. <laughs> so I think that my biggest learning is have patience with everything. And I'm sure it's the same for you in a way with growing. I've made all the mistakes. Oh, 100%. percent <laughs> Yeah, I say the same thing. Come and learn. Don't do any of that. Just do this. <laughs> Exactly. In 12 years as a flower farmer, I have definitely made some huge mistakes in flower farming. The things I've grown that I'd never grow again, ever. There's things I've grown that I don't actually like. There's things I've grown that would never sell and doesn't have a commercial outlet. So what's the point of that? Yeah. And so, yeah, all of that. And if you can get the marketing yeah. right and the marketing right, then you've got success. But otherwise, woo. That's the same. I mean, patience, patience, patience. With bees, you've got to be so patient. And I'm not naturally a patient person. So I find that quite difficult. And at the moment, I'm very impatient because for us, July has been a complete disaster as far as honey production has been concerned um, because it was a complete washout. The bees collected a lot of honey early in the season. And then they've just sat in their hives all of July and munched their way through most of the crop. So I'm patiently waiting for the Indian summer that we're going to have. Wait a couple of weeks. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. <laughs> I'm, you know, on my phone continuously looking at all the different apps for forecasting. Going, you know, this one says that. This one says that. They never agree completely, do they? No, I have a rain alert on mine. And I was actually on holiday a few weeks ago in France. And it was lovely because obviously here all it did was rain. And all I was worried about was lack of rain. Yes. this alert that kept jumping up and then but then even now if I look at an app now I always I, I live by the weather of course when am I going to pick when am I going to feed what am I going to do when am I going to water and exactly yeah uh, who knows I don't trust any of it anymore now I've come to the conclusion that let's just see what comes out of the sky and plan for that. Exactly. it's so I, I I think that's definitely the best way forward no so yes lots of patience and when you're making splits of colonies and so on, you have to wait for the new queen to be mated. And it always takes excruciatingly long. And you're like, come on, come on, surely, surely now, surely now. And of course, if the weather's poor, the queen hasn't been able to fly out and be mated. So it takes even longer. So I'm in that situation at the moment. So I keep looking out. This week, Thursday. Shouldn't she may go on Thursday? Well, it's a nice day today, actually. So, um, you know, and but it mustn't be too windy because they might get lost um, and you don't want too many birds around. You know, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. I'm sure it's very similar for you. It but, uh, it you know, there's all these things that are competing to make your life more difficult, it feels like sometimes. <laughs> so who has inspired you in your career? I think I might guess at this one. Oh, um, well, I've been very lucky, actually, because I've had some very generous 
people give me some very good advice about beekeeping, but also about the business of beekeeping. Um, so, yeah, they're usually much older men with big beards, as you can imagine. Um, I've also been very inspired by Dave Gorson. Um, podcast. If you haven't listened to him, you need to listen to him. I mean, a girl crush on Dave Gorson. I have to. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I have definitely got Dave, uh, Dave Gorson crush and I have all his books. And I was, um, this weekend, I went to the Newton Somerset. I was lucky enough to go there for the day. And his books were all sitting on the shelves. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is like, yeah, I, I definitely have a book. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The new Plants of Distinction Autumn Catalogue is now available and contains over a thousand different flower and vegetable seeds with over 150 new and exciting varieties added this year alone. Cut flowers in an extensive array of individual colours are a speciality and added to this are many unusual annual and perennial seeds together with the hard to find heritage favourites. So if you're looking for something a little different, be it choice cutting flowers suitable for both fresh and dried arrangements or cottage garden and container growing varieties, you need look no further. You can download or request a copy of the new autumn catalogue by visiting the website plantsofdistinction.co.uk where an exclusive 30% discount is available to all podcast listeners when ordering seeds by using the discount code CUTFLOWER30. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of people do. And he's done so much to raise awareness of this sort of, you know, providing proper environments for bees and planting for them and so on. And his books are great because he is a scientist. He's a proper serious scientist with strings of letters after his name. Um, but the way he writes is very relatable, even to people who've got no kind of botany or biological science background at all. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend his books. And if you can ever see him speak, He's a great speaker as well. He's very relatable. Um, so yes, him. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, the, I get influenced from so many different things, and from my engineering world as well. There's people who've taught me things that are transferable to be be world as well. So yeah, there's a lot of people. I don't have one great idol i have to say but uh yeah it's a, a combination of lots of people any plans what's next let's know what the plans are oh well you know there's always plans aren't there i'm one of these people that has about 50 million at any one time <laughs> but, um so the next big thing is in-person honey tasting workshops um and i think i've just sourced a really lovely place to do them i'm hoping to go and see it next week um so i'm hoping that we can run those over the winter the problem is over the summer i'm just flat out bees um, yeah. with the bees and you know i've got youngish children and you know the whole point was that i'd be around for them yeah <laughs> you know how it goes um so, yes, honey tasting workshops. We've got lots and lots of lovely new products coming to our website shop. 
for in in the autumn which i'm very excited to share with people um just getting those worked out at the moment and sorting out how to package them and all of that so it's not just about looking after the bees there's uh, all the other stuff that goes with it yes it's, it's huge 100 percent so yeah. what's your favorite honey then my favorite honey hmm. i i don't have one i have to say but i think I mean, the best honey I've ever tasted, and I think every beekeeper would tell you this, was the first harvest from my own hive. It was just the most amazing thing. Um, and it's mind blowing. Um, and you can't ever beat that. But if I had to choose another honey, maybe dandelion is quite an unusual one. Um, it's, it, oh, it's, it's unique. You know, I can't really describe it. It's you'll just have to try it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. This is this sounds really mad now because when I'm a bee, if I'm a bee, I'm going to go off and have a bit of everything, aren't I? I'm not. I'm going to have a. I'm going to have a buffet. You are to a certain extent, but honey bees are a little bit different to other bees. So they're ex the reason why they do so well is that they're extremely good communicators. So what happens in the morning? They send out scout bees to, to scan the local area and they'll find, you know, maybe three or four different types of forage that are available that day. They'll come back with samples of the pollen and the nectar. They'll share it with their friends and um, then they'll make a decision about what, what they're going to forage on and then they will go. And this is why it's so important not to have too many colonies in one place. Because say, for example, there's a lime tree blossoming and they love lime. If you've got five colonies of bee, honeybees all congregating on a lime tree, other types of bee aren't really gonna have a look in um, because honeybees don't go from one to a flower and sort of stumble across and see what there is out there like bumblebees and solitary bees they're extremely efficient so you know it's um quite contentious keeping a lot of bees in the city particularly all in one place so that's you know i've set up this facebook group um called flowers that bees love and it's all about trying to encourage people to create this buffet in their garden or even on their doorstep if they don't have a garden, you know, if they've got a little flat or whatever, they can do a window box or if you can do something, it's better than nothing. Um, so I'm always trying to encourage people to do that sort of thing. I can imagine these bees in the morning going, oh, I've been out and I've had a really good look round. And I decided today we're going to have dandelion because it's a mate. Well, actually, if they came to my house, they'd be there'd be more than enough dandelion. Or I've decided I'm going to I don't know I'm going to have lime or nettles. Not nettles, not flowery enough. But uh, and I'm going to uh, come on. Then we're going this way, and then they all follow. It's kind of so intelligent. Oh, I mean, the more I learn about bees the more they blow my mind. And that's one of the things that I love about it so much is it's a continual learning process. And it never stops because there's always more information to learn. There's always scientists working on things and 
bees are so so intelligent and you know their brain is the size of a sesame seed or something but this ability to communicate with each other and know what to do at different times in their life and I just find it extraordinary. I think that's why I'm really interested. You've got me really hooked, actually. <laughs> I hooked on A, coming to test what honey I'd like, but I can actually see bees on my land at some point. I have always wanted to do it, but have been put off. But if I could find a honey that I like, that would be the answer, wouldn't it? And definitely, I think, definitely. I will be, I hopefully, I will do a bit of research, and hopefully I won't just... They won't just arrive one day and I'll think, oh my. I mean, the same thing, we've got two goats, which takes me back to when we sat in Lisbon Airport and our flight was delayed. And we didn't really know what to do. We were a bit bored and we had our computers. And my, my youngest daughter at that stage said, oh, mummy, wouldn't it be lovely to have goats? And we went, oh, yeah, it'd be really lovely to have goats. So no sooner did we find that having goats would be a really good idea that we ordered two. And when we got back, we thought, oh, now we've got to drive over 100 miles to pick these goats up. What are we going to do? So... We had no idea even on the species. <laughs> so we did buy an Amazon book on the way on how to look after goats. So we had some idea and we had built a little house. So off came these two goats who are still here today. And we didn't realise they're boar goats. And boar goats are really reared for meat. And then you right. get really deep into it and say, okay, well, we'll have milk goats and they have meat goats. And what's the difference? And now you've got these meat goats that you... And actually, if you had milk goats, you'd have to milk them all the time. So you'd have to be here all the time. So I guess that's not going to work. But these could equally have been milk goats, which would have been a problem. So I promise that if I'm going to do bees, I will not do that. I won't go into this, um, oh, dear, never mind, they've arrived. I will do a bit more research than that. That's really reassuring to me because the best thing you can do is join your local bee club. And most of them run a beginner's course and so at least you get some hands-on experience because the other thing that happens is that people will love the idea of getting bees and they'll order everything and it's not cheap you know it's several thousands of pounds to set up initially just with a couple of hives and you need a bee suit and all that stuff um, and then they have their bees and they swarm or they open the hive for the first time and they realise that actually it's a really terrifying experience for them and it's it's really not for them at all. And you wouldn't know that unless you've stood next to a hive when it's being opened. So I always encourage people, you know, come, spend time with the bees, work with the club bees, our local club. We have an apiary, which is just for people to come and learn. And I run it. So every Sunday we have people coming and we do whatever needs to be done. And I teach them all the time. You know, now at this time of the year, we need to be thinking about that. And have they got enough stores there to last them if it's very wet over the next couple of weeks? And all of that sort of stuff, which you you just wouldn't think about. It, it's planning ahead all the time um, that, that you need that a bit of experience, I guess, to, to really understand it properly. Definitely. But uh, it, it is great and i absolutely love it you don't so, have a good dog just for christmas do you You actually have it for the rest of so you've got to really think about this a the investment and b if it's right for you and that's yeah i mean i think that there's a statistic that more than 85 percent of people who buy the gear have given up after two years because it's a lot more than they they ever anticipated yeah i think you've got to go into so. it with your eyes open that's for sure 
exactly to be fair to to do it that way around so yeah they need to to connect with you helen and we have got in our um show notes everywhere that people can get you both on social media on instagram and and obviously on your website and your product and your courses of which you must nudge me in the winter because that would be a lovely thing to do and um i would love to do a honey tasting that really sounds right up my street so helen i'd love to thank you for coming i've learned so much today and I am now got a vision in my head, which I am now not going to be able to get rid of, of the bees <laughs> going, come on, which way are we going, guys, this way or that way? And I find that just fascinating. And, um, yeah, and that we've both got a joint love of Dave Gilson, so that's fine too. <laughs> and if you haven't caught up on Dave Gilson's podcast, please do. I'll have a flash yes. on him. So thank you very much for joining me, Helen. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Oz. Lovely to chat. And I'll see you soon. I look forward to next week's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review on your podcast app. We do have some wonderful free resources on our website at thecutflowercollective.co.uk. We also have two free Facebook communities, which we'd love you to join. For farmers or those who want to be flower farmers, we have Cut Flower Farming, Growth and Profit in Your Business. And our other free Facebook group is Learn with the Cut Flower Collective for those starting out on their flower journey. All of the links are below. I look forward to getting to know you all.